Hello and welcome again to the Cycling Dads podcast, the podcast for dads who ride. I am once again Aaron Thomas-Smith, your host, joined as always with... Devin Palmer, Remax Results. And today, Devin, we are... What are we doing? We like just talked about this. We're trying a new mic setup. Aaron, we're sitting side by side instead of face to face. Just side by side. It's leading to a, a different energy in this A room. very different energy. I'm not 100% convinced it's the right energy. The audio we'll quality is better. We've we've tested that. The now we're looking slyly better. at one another out of the corner <laughs> of our eyes. And I just don't know how the listener will treat. It doesn't really work out very well. I feel like we need something to look at. Do we need we, to hire like a production person to just sit there? Not a fake actually, producer? Yeah, just a fake producer. Just a fake producer. Hey, Kevin. Pull that up, Kevin. Do we need that? <laughs> well, first of all, his name would be Jamie. Pull that up, Jamie. Jamie. Uh, cool. How are you doing, Devin? I'm well. Aaron, how are you? That was a very short update, which leads me to believe that more is going on. I'm doing oh, great. Oh, you think there's more under the do surface? You, do you know Do you know why I'm doing so great right now, Devin? Because it's been over 48 hours since Calamity has struck you. No, because two days ago, Bluey Season 3 dropped. Wow. <laughs> on Disney+. Plus. I've already seen them all because I VPNed and watched it on the Australian iView. But that's great. It is it is amazing. If you have not seen Bluey season three, highly recommend. Um, the amount of antics that Bandit, who is the dad in this kids show, Bluey by the way is a Australian kids show that centers around uh, uh, the aforementioned Bluey character, who is the older sister in a in a family of four. Uh, they're all dogs, by the way. But it is the only children's show I can watch and also enjoy for two reasons. One, no episode is over eight minutes, which should be a law. Like any any show that's geared towards children under 10, you get eight minutes per episode. That's it. Okay. And two, it's genuinely funny. Let me correct you there because it is not. Because my daughter watched quite a bit of Bluey last night. <laughs> it is not engaging. It is not amusing. It is not good for adults. It's... It's exactly the kind of useless product you would expect out of Australia. It's a, <laughs> a useless land of criminals. It's a criminally minded country of layabouts. I disagree. Okay? And you know, Louis is the perfect representation of the quality of people and product I, you come that come from that country. I think you're going to upset a few of our listeners because I know that there's some fans out there of Louis who listen to this podcast. Well, guys, <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> Stop pretending to like a kid's show. Anyways, August 10th, Bluey came out. Super exciting. We've been watching a lot of it at, uh, I know. Wow. Controversial news. So, apparently. Controversial news. I thought it was just, you know, good. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's. Well, Aaron, let's talk about something else you thought was good. And that was another rescue Ooh. bike, as you would so, so call it, that you fetched from a dumpster. Not possibly an Australian brand. I think it's a Cannondale. I bought it. It was a Cannondale. Mm-hmm. I found a Super Six. So you I knew, have I, you... I have a penchant for rescuing bikes like ducks, and I found right I the... found a beautiful bike that needed a home, and I knew it was going to give me a short period of time. I just didn't know how short of a time. Well, Aaron, point of the story is, you got what you paid for. You almost instantaneously broke this bicycle. You got I did, a new bike. I did spend about a hundred dollars per mile. Yes, you got a new bike. You started a ride. Within what four miles, five so, miles? So, so listener, dear listener, I, as you know, I have Trash Bike 1.0. Trash Bike 1.0 is a beautiful Cannondale Six that I got from a gentleman online. T- t- took it in, saved it, rescued Just it from the trash. 
Just two gentlemen on the internet exchanging a bike. Had it had it fixed up by Appleman. Did a fantastic job. No money changed hands when you got this bike. Uh, what? How was the other gentleman compensated? I don't know. You got it fixed up by Appleman. Mm-hmm. Built it up. Mm-hmm. Love that bike. Beautiful bike. I got about thirty five hundred miles on it now. Fantastic bike. But I've always want. I've always loved the Super Six. Uh, one of our uh, esteemed guests, Eric Lundy. Well, not a guest yet, but listener eventually to be a guest. Eric owns a Super 6, beautiful bike, love that bike. And so one popped up and I thought, Trash Bike 2.0, here we come. That evolved into, well, I can't just put the old group set on it. I have to get some SRAM AXS, right? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Point being, got it built up beautifully by Sam Samet now. Thought, best way to break in this bike is to go on Thursday night ride at now with Sam, with Jordan, Break in this bike the proper way. What a beautiful night. What a beautiful day. Beautiful ride. Got down to Grey Cloud. A symphony. A symphony. Just a beautiful, beautiful day. One of the, one of the top 10 rides ever. And uh, took a right-hand turn, put some power down. And as it turns out, the frame, uh, not the repaired part. This is not, not apparently a needed repair part uh, fail, which was the chainstay. Stranding me in gray cloud for about an hour during bedtime so that my lovely wife had to take the children who she was trying to get into bed, put them in the van, come and pick me up and then drop me off at now. So yes, trash bike 2.0. So it really barely sounds knew like you. your customer experience with this product was similar to how I experienced Bluey in that I don't really <laughs> like it. I, I, what I, I, at first I was really disappointed. I was really upset. Why? Because the bike broke instantly? Because I, I spent a significant amount of money and time mm-hmm, mm-hmm, on this mm-hmm, bicycle mm-hmm, and was really looking forward to it. And, you know, I was getting a little bit into that, like, uh, you know, whatever. But what I've decided on and the, the, the story I'm telling myself that I really enjoy is that I gave that bike, which was a former pros bike in the Cannondale Dre Pack days. I gave that bike a Viking funeral, gave it one last great ride. And it, it left, it instead of being in some dude's basement, it left going out on top. I feel good about that. Draypeck, I got some Draypeck equipment when I was at the racery. Yeah, that was I right forget, around the time you were doing that. I forget what brand of bike. They were riding some funky brand of bike at that time. Though. It was Cannondale Super Sexes. Cannondale You're Draypeck. saying things as if <laughs> you know them? Cannondale is in. You Why would lie. they ride a different bike? You can't lie to my face about things that happened in my life. Devin. <laughs> they were not riding Cannondales at that time. Why is it in their name? It wasn't Cannondale at Raypeck at that time. Okay. This was 2015. Yeah, because that was 2016. So you're talking about the year before. But was that still, because wasn't that the Garmin team? Because they had the... Is, for the listeners, hey, because if there's, there are... If there's anything we've learned, it's that we are not to be trusted when it comes to any sort of pro cycling. If this podcast ends, <laughs> it's because... The new seating arrangement led me to <laughs> choke Aaron bodily. That's fine. There's like three or four other dudes who would do it with you. Jordan would do it. Heartbeat. Wait, choke you or do the podcast? Do the podcast. Oh, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so long story short, rest in peace to your second bike, which you bought and then instantly broke. We have the internet. Candle Dre Pack. Mm-hmm. Let's look it up. Mm-hmm. Which is now EF Education Easy Post, right? Oh, Cannondale Cervelo. Cannondale Cervelo. You just said two bike brand names in a row. Or is that, yeah, why is it? It literally is, oh, Garmin Cervelo. That's it. Garmin Cervelo. Yep, yep, yep. Bicycles. Yep, so was Cervelo before Cannondale. Yep, 2011 to 2014. That's it. Cool, cool, cool. Hey, we solved it. 
Hey, look, we used our... That was a different team. Draypeck was associated with a different team at that time. I don't know. I, I'm not going to Wikipedia this. Anyways, point is, beautiful bike destroyed. Well, that first was of Thursday all, night. it's a Cannondale Super 6. Not that beautiful bike. Okay. Kind of a... Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Much whoa. like Bluey, whoa. you're overstating how good this product is. Okay. Friday, kind of bummed out. I uh, had been looking at doing, as a few of our listeners are aware of, an event called the Tour de Tonka for yep. the first time. Yep. Saturday was the Tour de Tonka. This yep. is last Saturday. Um, now we're describing the second calamity to befall you within a 48-hour period. Well, don't, don't like, spoiler, hey, spoiler alert. alert. Calamity's coming. So I was going to do it with my brother. He, he decided not to because the weather was looking iffy. But Eric, once again, Eric Lundy, mm-hmm. was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing the 100. I was like, hey, why don't you do the 42 with me? So we did the 42 together. Uh, one of one of my favorite rides I've ever done, hands down. It was so much fun. It was it was really incredibly difficult. Most of the ride actually was paused because of the weather. We were far enough ahead that they couldn't stop us. <laughs> so we just kept going. Ended up riding with Tom and Rob out of Beef Train and just two fantastic dudes. Um, just two beefy dudes. Just two beefy dudes. It was it was one of those one of those primo rides, at, and what eventually happened is we at about mile thirty went to Excelsior with the rain and everything, and kind of the exhaustion wasn't paying attention. Hit some railroad tracks, and trash bike one fell with me, causing some scraping. You know, which I'm now pointing to, and, and that you can't see because this is a podcast. This is an audio format, but ended up with a, a you know a pretty significant mile road rash, some soreness, and. Basically, uh, running off of adrenaline and embarrassment led the led the group of uh, four of us to the finish line. Basically, pulling for the last of the the twelve miles as hard as I could in the rain while bleeding, while there was blood dripping off my handlebar. So it was it was awesome. It was super awesome. Like Thursday was like, oh man, cycling sucks, and Saturday was like, oh man, I love cycling, which is funny considering it took maybe I'm a masochist, Aaron. But what's like You cyclist, crashed out of the Tour de Tonka. I didn't crash out. I finished. You crashed out of the Tour de Tonka. I didn't crash out. I <laughs> crashed at the Tour de Tonka. <sighs> so yeah. So that was that was it. That was yeah. A lot, a lot happened. A lot happened. And then we interviewed Rich, and we alluded to it in the entire podcast, and never actually talked about it. No, you're just <laughs> you're a disaster. What about you, Devin? You're a disastrous rider. What about you, Devin? When I think about your riding style, I'm a great rider. I am a great rider. We'll get Eric on here. He'll vouch for me. I did tongue pulling. You haven't even ridden with me this year. Gee whiz. How dare you? Gee whiz. Well, listen, I was on... What about a, your fitness? I was on a family trip to Madeline Island with my family. Now, I'm oh. saying the words family trip instead of vacation. Someone made it clear to me, and my experience is validated. When you take a kid somewhere, it's not necessarily a vacation. not a vacation. Yep. No. Yep. Lesson learned. Yep. So it's just the and I with the kids for most of it. Our friend Aaron popped up for a couple of days. Hard, 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 hard. Children are hard. My children, being with them, being around them, parenting them. You're in the shit, man. Oh, my gosh. Because they're one in and three. You're in the deep. And we, yep. we went on our family trip, uh, the preparing a vehicle and then doing a four and a half hour drive with the kids. It's pain. It's just pain. It's just pain. It was so tough. It's, um, it's nice. um, Did you do what I do, though? I always use that as an excuse to go Xanax, get the car Give the detail. kids Xanax? No. No. And whenever I'm packing up for a family trip, I take everything out of the car, go get it detailed, get a nice wash, and then pack it up. And that makes it a little bit better because the car at least smells nice. So did I assign myself one more to-do in the busy days leading into the trip? No, It's I not really a to-do. Hey, it's, it's like a, it's like a little thing for yourself. 
useful to do. Like, another, oh, let me run another errand. It's like no. when I make myself a little when I make myself a little Bailey's latte in the morning before I make the kids breakfast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's one do more thing to do. we need to talk do. about your drinking problems? <laughs> yeah, it's Is this why you're crashing? Yes, one more thing to do. Do you ride drunk? But it makes everything else a little bit do easier. Do you lead the Sunday morning <laughs> dad's ride drunk? Of course not. Well, anyways, we I were on a family better. trip. Family trip. So we're on a family trip. Madeline Island. Madeline Island, which is beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. You've been ride. there a lot. We've gone for the last three years, and I actually just booked our place for next summer, too. There's some swimming that happens between islands. Island to island. Coast to coast. From mainland to the island, they have How a swim point to a point. It's just over two, so 2.1 to 2.5 miles. How long um, does that take? Takes 60 to 90 minutes. Yeah, how long would you estimate that would take someone? You might estimate it take an hour. <laughs> And when it takes longer, it might be a problem. <laughs> Great riding. Love the riding up there. How not many KOMs a, do you have? Not a stoplight on the island. Only a couple stop signs. Just really enjoy the riding. So I had a blast. I was that blissed out. Awesome. That was kind of my thing is managing kids. They were sleeping pretty poorly up there, but riding was great. How many how many hours did you get in? I don't know. I rode mo- most of the days. I rode about 50 minutes, which gave me just over 17 miles. A couple of the days I did. 23 miles nice for 75 or 80 minutes nice so nothing nothing spectacular but it's just great riding uh my wife did the swim point to a point one of the it's the second biggest open water swim in the country what's the first what is the first maybe the one to catalina island what is the first i don't know, I don't know. alcatraz alcatraz that's what i'm thinking because isn't there no alcatraz, alcatraz and then there's manhattan island right yeah the manhattan one's pretty serious business alcatraz is the biggest Point to the point is the second base. There's 650 people. So it was a stronger current this year. So it was a little slower. People were getting pushed around. Mm. I arrived expecting my wife to do about an hour because we'd casually, for, for, on no basis, had thought I had in my head, she'll do about an hour. So I arrived with the kids at about an hour. We stand, we cross into Frankie's nap time. I'm holding Frankie and trying to keep Svea from running around too much. Mm. Half an hour we're waiting. Yeah, that's hard. Starts to grind on that's me. Hard. You know what makes it easier? <laughs> Bluey. That's that's one way of looking. Not at Bluey the show, by the way. The little games. Hey, Erin, that's games. your perspective. The little games. Mama comes out. Yep. We're happy to see her, and we and are happy to get back. Yep. Bye bye. Back to the cabin and get, see you later. Get Frankie down for now. Well, that's cool. Yep. Good. Congrats, good dude. experience overall. Super glad to have booked the next thing next year. Lessons learned next year. We're bringing bringing all the grandparents. Bring the childcare with you on vacation. Very smart. Yep. So we're going to do that next year. Yeah. And I already booked booked a cabin that will fit all of us. Yeah, we just did. We did Duluth again mm-hmm. for Leslie's birthday. Same spot we had earlier this year. It was it was great, but you know it's ostensibly for her birthday. But most of the time, it's like we're just trying to find things to keep the kids occupied and happy. And, you know, we were able to, to get her a day where, you know, she could go and get a facial and take some time by herself. And then me and the kids just kind of, you know, walked around and, and uh, enjoyed the Fitkers kind of brewery. So, yeah, it's, it's vacation is not family trip. Family trip is you're, you're working yep. during family trip. So it's important to kind of kind of get both. And really, I'm just trying to find some events now to, to look forward to in the fall. We've talked before and we'll talk again about the hot dash race it's going to be a gravel race on october 29th here in minnesota it'll be close to winona yep chase work of work cycling services is going to put that on so you and i have both kind of penciled that in if we can make the make the drive work 
on the 29th and the weather is favorable. We're not traveling for inclement weather in yeah. late October. But if it works out, hot dash, 100-ish K distance of ride. Yep, that'll be great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. So we had Rich on. Rich is always a great conversation. Rich is a professional salesman. And boy, does he like to talk. Rich is... Uh, He's a real I'm... yapper, isn't he? Rich is one of the individuals, I think, that there's there's two or three people in my life that from a cycling standpoint and from a sales professional standpoint, we can sit down and and have a conversation that I, I know I'm going to take something from that, whether that's in cycling or in sales. And in many ways, what he we're very much on the same page, but he's been doing this longer. I always feel like I'm, I'm getting some more information. I'm gleaning something. And you know, he's just a fun dude. You know, and, and I mean, speak of like pro dads, like he's been in the game. He's got big numbers. Big numbers. Big numbers. Six kids. Six kids. Didn't he say one of his kids is like graduating from college or something? He's got one kid graduating from college. He's got <laughs> he's got one kid that's like just starting to ride a pedal bike. So, I mean, it's rich is full of wisdom, hard earned. Full of wisdom. Hard earned. Yeah. Is that what we usually say about salesmen who talk a lot? Is oh, you're full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. Well, dadhood. <laughs> Salesmen maybe not so much. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was a really great conversation. We've we've had Rich on before, and I felt like it was a little bit. I loved our previous conversation, Rich. I loved our previous conversation, but it was a little bit less focused than I think this one was. I thought we really got to the meat of some of the some of the interesting questions that are plaguing not only the bike industry but also. You know, there was some really interesting insight into the tour, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, I did not realize that Yumbo Visma was also a travel agency, essentially. And well, they have one tucked within their entity yeah, that's, for extra revenue. It's wild. their business. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. But that's, you know, that used to be something that was very, like, kept, kept close and given out to people like Rich, right? But not someone who could just, like, go online, swipe a credit card, and all of a sudden you're partying on the shams, right? Like. So I, I thought it was great. What did you think, Doug? I think it was an adequate conversation. And I liked talking to Rich more than I like watching Bluey. How about that? <laughs> that's a pretty low bar for you. Uh, but that's good. And and Rich is working on something for you now. Right. Yeah. Well, for us. Rich, <laughs> Rich is going to give Aaron and myself... Brand new Cervelo S5. Wow, that's, this is the first time I'm hearing about that. Yeah. Durace for you because you're a diva. Integra for me because like I'm just a, a working guy. I Hey, in the 19 miles that I use Ceram AXS, mm -hmm. I'm sold. My mm -hmm. wrists, they're too weak to use the mechanical cables anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not, what am I, an iron worker? What am I, a miner? No, no. I need I need the clicky clicky. I need mm -hmm. the boopy boopy. Mm -hmm. So Durace DI2 for you on your S5. Altegra for me. That's fine. That's fine. I'll accept that. That's fine. And we're going to, he's also going to throw in a soloist for each of us to compare. They're coming out. They've just launched the new S5 and the most brilliant launch mm -hmm. we've ever seen in the history of cycling because they had the most dominant ride ever by Walt Van Aert mm -hmm. all throughout the tour. Mm -hmm. And they're going to launch the soloist or rekindle the soloist. And Rich is going to give us one of each. What an iconic bike though. Like the soloist really was like, that is the bike I think about when I think Cervelo, right? That crazy well, down tube. The great news is you're going to have one soon. <laughs> right. Well, it's not going to look the same. But you, I mean, do you remember, like, when that came out, it was ridiculous. It was like, why did why did they do a try down tube on a road bike? And it was, it changed the game. Changed the game. It was such a, and we, actually, uh, one of our one of our guys, Andrew Dreidall, uh, showed up on the coffee ride 
he just got into cycling and some dude sold him like the full, do you remember Altegra SL? Do you remember that little period of time where they had, Mm-mm. they had Altegra. This is back when Shimano still did the, the like antenna, right? Antenna oh, yeah, shifters. So they had Altegra, but it was gunmetal gray instead of, right? Ooh. And it was an extra like $300 for the group set or something. No actual functional difference at all. But you know, it was a bougie. It was a bougie group set. It's like I don't have enough money to spend for all, for Darius, but I want I want to be bougie. So Andrew rolls up with a soloist. Yeah. With you know the the fork the Wolf fork right and a full Altegra SL group set Reynolds carbon rims just a beautiful beautiful bike. <laughs> and that's I mean it really is an iconic bike like it's one of those bikes that it it was it was very much that time, right. And Rich, we can't thank you enough for giving two of us each <laughs> two complete road bikes. One other thing, because it's coming do think, up. Do you think if we stayed it on the podcast, can we speak that into being? No, I don't think. I do I, really want. I don't think this is a law of attraction thing. I do really want an S5. I was so bad. So, so bad. bad. I'll get you some referrals. Oh, my gosh. Get you yeah. Please. Please. Send <laughs> Devin your business. Refer me real estate clients so I can get so an S5. So you can get the S5. Um, actually, uh, for a, a friend of mine, I've been helping out with sales stuff. I'm not going to say in any way that's the reason he landed this huge contract, but he did land a huge contract. And because he landed that huge contract, he went out and got his dream bike. So so he used this large wad of cash to go buy a bike, not a house. So you could have turned owns his success. Already. He owns a house already. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing. Because... Devin, we're, we're coming up on what what has been announced since last time we talked. Do you know what it is? You should, because now you're one of us. Zwift Racing Week. Mm-hmm. Next season, coming mm-hmm. up, starting in September. Mm-hmm. I am looking for a team. I need a team, folks. So if you're out there, if you're listening, if you, if you want to race together, I'm currently like a high C in Zwift Power. Let me know. Looking for a team. I've kind of put some feelers out there. Some friends have, have mentioned a couple of teams. I, I really, I'm just looking for someone to race with and uh, enjoy my time. And then Devin too. To a much lesser extent. Because Devin will be racing as well. I will be on Zwift this year. He will? Yes. I'll be there. Eat some crow. Anyways, that is all we have. Please enjoy this conversation we have with Rich. And in the future when we have our S5s, we'll look back on this episode and laugh. Ha <laughs> We'll talk to you all soon. Hello and welcome again to the Cycling Dads Podcast, the podcast for dads who ride. I am once again Aaron Thomas Smith, your host, joined as always with Devin Palmer, Remax Results. And Devin, today we have another two-time guest on with us. Two-time. Often requested. Two-time or two-timing? Two-time. No, two-time. two-time. We, we love him. Has he done other podcasts? He's a good guy. You been talking this, to other dads? Only this dad's podcast. This is the only dad's podcast that exists. It's the only one I care about as far as I'm concerned. Do you listen to podcasts though? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have Rich Sherman in the studio with us today. Not not just like it's a two-time guest, but also the first guest we actually brought into our Remax Results studio. 
It's MSP Moves Studio. Sorry. MSPMoves.com. MSP Moves Studio. Brokered by Remax Results. Okay. <laughs> fancy, fancy. Rich, how are you doing today? I'm well. I'm really good. Yeah. It's a beautiful morning. Got up early with the kids. Off to work after this. Just a wonderful day in the neighborhood. And can you remind our listeners, or perhaps our first-time listeners, what do you do for work? I work in the bike industry. I work at a store called Now Bikes and Fitness in St. Paul. We're a family-owned shop of 50 years, having two locations, and uh, sell some pretty fancy bikes. So great-grandpappy Sherman, he owned the shop, or is this different I, family? Different family. Okay. <laughs> uh, I work for the original owner who's been running the store for 50 years. Wow. Which is a pretty cool story. And part of that story, just because I think it's like a little piece of like Minnesota cycling lore that people don't know, is the old state fair sales. Thank goodness that happened before my time. <laughs> but uh, you know about them. Can you elaborate? They were the... legendary. They kind of set a standard in the industry. They would haul semis full of inexpensive product over to the education building at the state fairgrounds. They had 22 state fair sales over the course of 22 years. And, uh, and from the stories I've heard, it's a bit of a fire drill. And uh, kind of an insane experience, and I'm glad it all happened before my time well, with would, this company. You would sell like hundreds of bikes over the course of a hundreds weekend. and hundreds and hundreds of bikes over the course of two or three days. That's insane. Uh, it was an assembly line of inexpensive bikes, and you know, direct imported goods and helmets. And so bags a, and, a salesman like you probably isn't interested in making that many sales in a short period. The stack them high, watch them buy type of selling is not my favorite. You do have, I don't know. It's, I think you have the pipes to be a carnival barber. Well, it's just... I think just, you could sell a lot of bikes. <laughs> we, you could definitely sell a lot of bikes. Can we get you into the fair this year? I would rather not. The downside to selling a lot of bikes that quickly is the lack of personal relationship with each client, and that's the down. Yeah, because you're just You don't get out. to establish okay. any type of rapport. Or, it's all about the cheapest dollar and the most volume. Well, and I think that's... We've talked about that on the podcast mm -hmm. is, you know, the question I get most of the time, having worked in a bike shop, for a number of years is, you know, what's the best bike shop or like, where should I go to get X done? And it, the answer is always like, what is the one you have the relationship with? What is the one you want to build a relationship with? You know, and, and I think that people expect at a certain dollar amount, like I just dropped six grand on this bike, bingo, bingo, my relationship is, is solid. I think at a shop like now, there, to, to some degree, sure. But I, I do think it's a it's a time consuming process. It takes time to like show up and hang out and meet the people, know your mechanics. And then eventually, if you, you know, get to a place where you really have that relationship built, you know, you'll walk into the store and most of it's just insults hurled your way all day long. <laughs> and that's how you know you've built that relationship. When they start treating you poorly after a while, it means you're part of the family. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes, absolutely. They trust you enough. Yes. And they like you enough. There's a safety net there of emotions that... Uh... Could just be me. <laughs> Could just be me. <clears throat> but anyways, that's... Yeah, so now it's like... We've talked about now a number of times on the shop. It's where I go for all my stuff. Love the shop. Well, is it always where you go? Always. Is it always, though? I mean, if we're talking about purchasing trash bikes, is there? But is there another shop a mile down the road from you that you sometimes go into too? I do love that shop. I'm calling them out on air. I oh, do. I do go to that shop. I do not use their services. They're they're busy. One ten. He lives right by one ten. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about a different shop. 
Shop too. <laughs> we don't need to get into politics on this oh, podcast. Shops are you going into? Yeah, but uh, yeah, well, I, I went into one ten once, and I then thought when I they, was, I thought it was the only one. Yeah, when they when they told shocked. me uh, their thoughts about Devin in the podcast, I was like, "Well, I'm not coming back." <laughs> <laughs> you are half a mile away from my house, and uh, <laughs> I'll make the extra. No, they're great. One ten is good, but you know. they are good. You have your you have your shop. You build a relationship. You go from there. Yeah, that's the basically. There's a lot of good shops in town, and it's just which one fits well for you and how you interact with that staff and that product line or product lines. And it's really just tailoring it to each person. And, and which one does Sam work at? That's which the most important. One? The legendary Sam Sam is Sam at Sam. Bike Saints Paul, and he is uh, the ringleader of our service department and does a fantastic job. Ringleader is the appropriate term. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. Yep. Yep. It's a bit Lord of the Flies sometimes. <laughs> Rich bike industry, big news always coming. Transitions always coming. Bike brands going in a bit into business, out of business. Bike brands going consumer direct. Is there a question? They're coming for your neck. <laughs> They're coming for you, Rich. They want to cut you out. They want you on the streets, unemployed. The consumer direct model has been an interesting process to watch over the last let's call it five to eight years as it's become more and more prevalent in the marketplace and what has become consistently brought to light is the fact that most consumers in the cycling industry are there because of partially because of relationships their brother their dad their friend got them into cycling they drink beer after work and there's an interconnectedness to it all that you can't buy online and so even though Canyon and direct consumer sales from Specialized and other brands do take a small portion of the market, there's something of intrinsic in the relationship that can't be replaced with that transaction. And so the trickier part has been evolving the shop to adopt and accept the fact that that model's there and how do you interact with those particular clients that maybe spent the bulk of their money online, but still need you for accessory service advice, fitting, whatever the case may be. And that is the magic of the bike shop that will kind of continue to fight the good fight against everything being digital. Canyons still need tune-ups. You still need to go get a bike fit on a Canyon, even though it's pretty on the magazine and then you go order it online. Yeah. The pro team does a good job, you know, so they get good press, they have great marketing. And frankly, in this day and age of technology, most bikes from quality bike brands, whether it be direct consumer or not, are of fairly decent quality. So it's not like you're buying garbage versus buying yeah. good in a store. But there and there are a lot of clients that don't need that relationship with the bike shop. They know how to work on their own bike or they use a mobile service or they hate being sold something. And there's definitely people who have an aversion to the sales process. And so we're here to adapt to that client's needs because there's if they're in your store and they've bought their bike direct to consumer, that means they still need something. Yep. They wouldn't be there if they didn't need something, whether it be advice, whether it be service, whether it be fitting, whether it be whatever the shop has to offer. And so what traditionally bike shops have done is run their shops with their ego. And so they tend to poo-poo all over that person. But the current bike shop needs to adopt the fact that they maybe missed out on that one bike sale. But there's a, if they're there, if that direct consumer is in your store in person or digitally, you have an opportunity to win them over and show them what you can do. And that's what we strive to do. So you don't have this negative connotation of the bike they bought. You more look like, look at it as an opportunity that if that client who traditionally wouldn't be in your store is in your store, 
you have this opportunity to do something. And that varies from client to client, you know that. And we have a lot of success stories by not shaming that person, by not treating them poorly or talking smack about their direct consumer bike. That opens the door to other types of sales and other types of relationships that do benefit the shop long term. Yeah, we've had to take we've had to kind of retrain ourselves to take that different approach. And we started that process with Bob years ago when we kind of sat down and go, OK, what do we do about Canyon? What do we do about this direct consumer stuff? We can either kind of piss in our own Cheerios by shaming that person or we can treat them with respect and kindness because they're here for a reason yep. and and try to earn their business that way. I think the headlines are always so the headline is a headline to grab attention in my industry huge headlines like Zillow, Opendoor, there's a lot of new digital players. And Zillow, we watched Zillow stumble and fall to the tune of losing hundreds of millions of dollars last year. They can't do it. There, there are elements where they could not get rid of us. Right. Zillow is a brokerage. So Zillow is like Coldwell Banker, like Edina Realty. They're an enemy, a competitor, direct competitor of ours as an agent. And they, it was... It was kind of delightful to go into their listings with with clients and see like, okay, you're wildly overpriced. You're not going to sell this at this price. It creates opportunity. If my client wants to buy this, we can get a good deal because you have done such a poor job listing and presenting this product. But the the hysteria, of course, was like, they're going to get rid of us. Mm -hmm. So just like the local bike shop, there's the hysteria. They're going to get rid of you. Some will fall by the wayside. Some will make it. But that's also other trends too. Some real, most realtors don't make it. That's a normal trend. The iBuyers like this online stuff, when they broke it down, it was such a teeny tiny, a tiny percent. Yeah. Yep. So it's like Canyon coming in. Single what digit, is, single is Canyon going to steal one, two high-end road bike sales from you? Basically. And then that guy still has to come in for a fit and for tune-ups. Well, on the downside, like we have a, a Canyon TT bike in the shop right now, and he brought it to us because we're experts in our field, and he has a broken part. So then we're handcuffed with, okay, we want to help you, but you got to go do this legwork to get us the parts and talk to them and do your warranty process or whatever the case may be, and then we can do the physical labor. But we have less resources for that client, and they have to take on more of that of their own. And to a lot of people, that's a big turnoff. Yep. You know, like, yep. I don't want to have to talk to three different people to solve this problem. I want to talk to one They have to take source. a note from Sam, Sam, like, I need the what part, the what, what? Yep. And then go shop that with the online chat service. I mean, down to basic yeah. things, like, we got a guy who needs a derailleur hanger for his canyon. We yep. can't we can't help him. You yeah. know, not, yeah. we can help him put it on. We can help him tune his bike. We can help him all those places. But can't we can't get him the part. Yep, can't yeah. source it. And I think that, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot when I've been in the shop and, and the direct consumer model. It really is, in, uh, I think, a symptom of this new type of consumer where it used to be that salespeople, their job existed because they needed to inform people, hey, here's this new thing that you probably aren't aware of, and I can provide this value to you, right? And now we live in this very like, and because of that, you know, I think salespeople kind of got that bad rap, right? Uh, because people took advantage of that. Like, well, I know all this stuff. I'm just going to selectively give you the information that makes me look the best. Salespeople have earned a bad rap. Fair or per bad perceptions, but we're now in a state with the internet and everything else where the consumer usually has more information about what's available to them and even more ability, right? They can go and just buy that bike. They can just do that today. And in some ways, you know, for, for a shop, it's like, well, does my rep have something in stock? Can I get that? Right. They have an infinite amount of warehouses that they can really source from. Whereas you're dealing with, you know, your five or six reps, which 
in back in the day, those were the people to get the stuff from and the internet's kind of flipped that topsy-turvy. So what do you do now as a sales rep? How do you provide value to people? And, and really that comes down to what you were talking about, which is helping them out with all the stuff that really needs a physical presence, needs a storefront, needs a mechanic, needs a fitter like yourself, right? Well, it's, so. it's great. The availability of a lot of information shortens your process because they come in having researched mm -hmm. it, read four mm -hmm. reviews, Super true. read all the competitors. Like I'm looking at an S5. Well, I've already read about the Madone. I've already read about the Venge. Mm -hmm. So I've come in to you several steps ahead. Rich gets to really go deep on the specific knowledge they don't publish or can't publish. Yep. There are parts of that that make the selling process easier because to your point, the buyer is a lot of times more educated on what's out there and what the technology is. And frankly, there are clients that I have that know way more about the technical details of all these bike parts and bikes than I ever will because I have to think about so many. Yeah. And so at times that does make the selling process easier. It kind of cuts out a few steps. And there are times because you guys know the Internet's a big, scary place that it confuses the client because for every one opinion, Right next to it is the exact opposite and just as valuable opposite opinion. Yeah. Oh, but I heard it's too harsh. <laughs> and so sometimes it, the client comes in just for clarification. Like, mm -hmm. I read this, I read this, my brain is scrambled eggs. What is the real truth here? And so then that's where our experience comes in and say, hey, you know what the Internet is saying is true or this is a very singular type of issue or, or byproduct or whatever the mm -hmm. case. Don't worry about that. Don't you know, we try to draw, help the client drown out some of the noise of the mm -hmm. Internet because it's a lot now and and speaking of which drowning out the noise really helping direct your your consumer one of the things that we haven't really brought up with we've, we've talked about our own experiences with now but the fact of the matter is you are a huge player specifically for one brand cervello mm. you have their brand new what is it, the r5 s5 s5 that's mm. that's in store beautiful beautiful bike but and you have Two on order, 56s, one Durace for me, Altegra for Aaron. We have sold every one that we've received, and we have more on order that are spoken for, yeah. That's, they came out of the <laughs> yeah, gates. Yeah, spoken for by us. By you guys. Yeah, they actually, they're gifts. Uh, I was going to just surprise you later. Oh, my God. A couple of Durace bikes <laughs> oh. for gifts. That's uh, great, because I just <laughs> broke my bike. Anyways, but what I was getting to with that is because of that status, you were able to go and enjoy a pretty cool experience, and we were hoping that you could, you know, kind of, Tell us a little bit more he got to go to the tour. I was going to let him do it. <laughs> I was like, you know. We cut to the chase. Okay. He went to the tour. End of story. And by tour, they mean tour de France. Of course. Oh, other now the tour France. de Tonka. <laughs> tour de Tonka. We'll be talking about that later. <laughs> tour de Tonka, Aaron. Yeah, so I got the call about five weeks ahead of the event of my trip. So about two weeks ahead of the tour starting, but about five weeks ahead of when I'd be going. We've been a Cervelo partner for a long time since in multiple ownership statuses, not ownership of my shop, but ownership of Cervelo. Cervelo was started by a guy named Gerard Vrooman uh, up in Canada. And then he in, in, in turn sold it to a very large money group called PON, P-O-N, who now owns the largest chunk of the cycling industry above Giant. But what PON has done is developed Cervelo into a worldwide, you know, phenomena of performance and accuracy and all the things. And one of their sponsor teams, Yumbo Visma, uh, was doing quite well at the tour and they reached out to four dealers in the country um, that have been long-term successful partners of them that have shown growth and in solidarity with the brand over many years. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get kind of the roll down of an invitation from them. This is the brilliance of the company. <clears throat> they call your boss, yes. Paul, give Paul the offer, knowing that Paul will reject it. Correct. And then, so they get the credit with Paul 
but then they bring you. So they get credit with two of you in the company. Right. So then Paul graciously allowed, you know, there's other, I'm not the only person that works for Now Bikes. So I was just, Paul graciously rolled it down my way and offered it to me and I gracious, and I accepted with joy and fear. You joyously accepted the gracious <laughs> fear, invitation. Because I have no idea what I'm getting into. And I was able to go for the last three stages of the Tour de France. Um, hosted by Yumbo Visma, who happened to maybe win said Tour de in France. A team in car too? Uh, there was a lot of team car action. Mm -hmm. I like to call those the vomit mobiles, and we can talk about that later. <laughs> you being a big American fella, was that fun in a little Let's European talk about that car? now. <laughs> it's like rally car driving behind bikers. It's not like a leisurely, leisurely luxury experience. I mean, when you're in the team cars and you're on the course, um, you're either going so fast to stay ahead of the riders or you're trailing an elite pro who's going 35 miles an hour on a TT bike through an S turn. Yep. And we're in Volkswagen vans. Oh, is van? Okay. So there was Yumbo Visma actually has what we could, they call a hosting service. So like Trek travel and like other uh, traveling companies, you can buy days of the tour experience and other majors, you know, Perry Roubaix and tour of Flanders and other major events where if you go to Yumbo Visma and you can say, okay, I want to book three days. And in those situations, there's also a riding experience involved. So you would go out and ride the course in the morning and then come back, shower, hop in the team cars, and then go either to various points on course to watch the Peloton go by. Or in our situation, I'm not sure how this works in other trips with these guys, but we were support car for one of the pro riders on the TT. Uh, we were able to drive in the team cars on the Champs ahead of the race and the final day. We had some access to on course and paddock and finish line and all of the things that I'm not sure are normally included in their services, but they did a very fine job. So the group I was with, we went for the last three days. I flew out of Minneapolis on Thursday, got to Toulouse, France on Friday and met up with a larger group. So it was myself, my inside rep, and the second dealer on the trip was a dealer out of Houston hmm. from a really cool shop called Urban Bicycle Gallery. Oh, yeah. Are they in the Woodlands? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know Houston very well. I know there's not as many bike shops as we have, but they're a lot like us in their high-end kind of aspirations mm -hmm. and fitting. And the Woodlands stuff. is where they have Ironman, Texas. Or okay. Ironman. Yeah. It's in the Houston area. And I know Houston's a big, sprawling area, so yeah. I'm not as familiar. The Woodlands with is the ritzy. Somewhere. Got it. Yeah. And I think the way Yumbo set this up was the last three days were reserved for VIP, not saying that I'm VIP, but like the people in my group were the former owner of Laser, Sean Van Wales, and his head helmet designer. He now still works for Laser, but Shimano bought Laser, yep. right? So, and then his lead helmet designer, and then eventually his lead marketing and team liaison. It was So sponsor of the team, obviously yep. they all wear Laser helmets. Uh, sea Sucker Racks, which is a very high-end rack manufacturer mm -hmm. for like, you know, you want to put a rack on your Bugatti to yep. suction one of these things yep. on it. Hit the owner of that company, his head marketing guy, the owner of the clothing company, their marketing people. Those were the people in my group for this service. And so there wasn't like a, there wasn't any like paying customers with yep. us. Right. In which case, I think maybe we got a little more access to like one day I was chatting with the medical director for Yumbo Visma. I met the owner and his whole family who were there. And so we had some access. We didn't get to hang out with any riders. Uh, COVID was a very real concern mm -hmm. amongst the Peloton. I think it was 40 some odd riders mm -hmm. left the tour either via COVID positive or injury. 
So a big chunk of the Peloton was taken out of the race because of these. So in the paddock, they call it where they have all the team buses and the trainers and the warm up and all that stuff. It was mask only. Mm-hmm. You had to be masked up, but that was the only place we were required to mask up. So mm-hmm. it was a really quite a cool experience. Our lead driver was a really great guy named Eddie. We call him Fast Eddie, former pro. Oh, oh. I want to read you guys his name because I always mess up his last name. It's so not, he had uh, he Mark would have the specific knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> his name was his name is Eddie Bowman's, and he won the white jersey in '92. Oh, he raced awesome. against. Uh, Greg LeMond and Annie Hampstead and Miguel Indores, and he came in 14th in that tour. Wow. And he has, you know. Been, so he knows how to navigate and drive safely amongst He's kind guys. of the yo Eddie of the tour. Like all the drivers know him, all the teams know him. He's been around the Peloton, obviously, for a very long time. He was on Team Panasonic back in the mm-hmm. 80s. Oh. Like really cool vintage stories. Yeah. Yep. And then I think his the majority of his adult life, he was like a contractor over in Belgium, where he's from sure and then somehow linked back up with Yumbo Visma to do this he mm-hmm. basically runs the Rugrats he runs the host service so he's like the out of the six staff members he's kind of the boss okay so he's who was driving me around every day and it was awesome to there's, get to know him. there's that connection of like the construction industry right and cyclists and I it's I strut like uh oh fudge uh CJ yes right like just, he's just the other day. It's, it's always funny to see him like he'll come off of the job site yeah. looking very much like what he is. Yeah. Right. He's a he's a, you know, a construction dude. And yeah. then he'll have like this seventy five hundred dollar bike that he's like, I need a tune up. for. And he'll rip it fast. Like, and, and he'll just. Right. Yeah. Which I think also contributes to like the Belgianness of CJ. Right. Like <laughs> the suffering, but just the <laughs> face that he makes that no one else can make. And it looks like. Thousands of years of pain have been thrust upon this man. It makes me miss Green Acres a little bit. Yeah, all Green Acres. We gotta do a we gotta do a podcast uh, episode that's just, just reminiscing, reminiscing about the days. Green Acres cyclocross. Oh. We're ramping up for state cross prep right now with the Birchwood team, fresh off of posting up the road race. The road race. Thank you, by the way, for your support on that. Oh, the road race. <laughs> I mean, it's road racing is tough, man. Like it's. We're, I've been talking with the promoter of Ken Woods, mm-hmm. which was the only other road race event we had this year. And we got a couple of ideas about how to kind of pool our resources together better and, and make a solid road racing calendar for Minnesota. But it's going to take a, we got to rethink how we're doing things. I think we've been doing things the same way since like the nineties. And we got to really start to get a little bit smarter about how to reach these people. Road Road in general is not driving. Road racing, especially here in Minnesota, the logistics of prep are a nightmare. The overhead's too high. Overhead's <clears throat> too high, and mm-hmm. participation is so low. Mm-hmm. Rich, what are you seeing? I mean, you're still selling high-end road bikes. You already sold out your S5s. Are those Fondo guys? Who are Who's the profile of that guy buying the bike now? It's quite frankly, it's all it's all over the place. I mean, you get the Rondo guys who want to go ride 200 miles in a shot. You get um, we're, we have a definitely a contingent of young athletic, not young, but younger side, old enough to afford, young enough to still be 30s. 30, yeah, <laughs> let's go with mid to late 30s who are passionate about performance bikes where they want it low and long and, yep. you know, light and fast and expensive bits and all those things. And so. We are a little more insulated from the ups and downs of the popularity of the road market because we're always in it. So people come to us for it. 
And even though it does ebb and flow, we're fairly consistent. And whether it be man or woman, old or young, we're selling road to just about everybody. I would say the bulk of it is definitely people who want to go ride a road bike. Yep. They're not being competitive. They're not necessarily riding at 24 miles an hour on an average. They're just going out to have fun with their friends or stay fit or stay healthy or whatever the case may be. And road riding, riding in general in this community is very well received. <clears throat> road riding is definitely a part of that. And, uh, and gravel riding is essentially just road riding with fat tires. So it just yep. kind of extends out into that gravel community as well. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've noticed is I just was doing some like digging in the old MCF Facebook page and everything. And I noticed that there's this weird kind of correlation between amount of road races in the state versus amount of group rides that are being advertised. And we are now seeing, I think, all time high for group rides in the state in terms of participation. So the people are out there doing the doing the ride and hanging out. But I think that next jump to, you know, what I hear a lot is I'm not going to be fast enough. I'm not, this isn't going to, this what doesn't fulfill me. What if I crash is a big one, right? Yep. Do I know anyone there? I don't know. No one's right. told me how to do it. Who's going to teach me how to go to the start line? The and, bridge, the bridge into racing. And, and the, the difference between racing and riding it used to be that a ride was essentially a practice race, right? Like if you were out of line, if you were doing something wrong, you're going to get yelled <clears> at, you're going to get kicked out of the group, right? Like that's not there anymore. You can't really put on a group ride in the state that is exclusive in that way because you won't get people, right? right. Or um, the people you get aren't exactly the ones that you may, may, may want to foster. Yeah, exactly. So when you have that kind of openness. Jerks, saying jerks. Well, people that just want to blow up road rides for yeah. the fun of blowing up road yep. rides, which there's definitely people that enjoy that and there are rides for them. But if you're trying to build a community, it's not, yeah. it's going to turn some folks off. And that's really what we're seeing now is that, is that building of community, right? Like virtually used to be kind of a, you know, kind of not, not the norm, right? We were kind of an exception in that we were trying to invite everyone to get on and do a group ride with us. But now the one thing that we had that used to be the norm, which is an ex team exclusive ride is now kind of, people are like, well, why is that only for team members? And there's that level of, I think, danger that people just kind of, I don't know if they're not aware of it or, you know, we actually just had a crash on Sunday on the coffee ride where a car stopped very suddenly. The group had to stop very suddenly and someone flipped over and went down. And, you know, I, I don't know if people are now less aware of that danger, you know, like a group ride versus a race. They, there's still the ability to crash in a group ride. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think about that a lot. Well, to your point, I think the road community could take a big note from women's mountain biking and kids mountain bike community mm -hmm. <clears throat> where I see the growth and extension of the typical male dominated cycling community. Let's call it white male dominated cycling community. Be honest, privilege of cycling community is I'm seeing way more women coming to of all ages and sizes and shapes and colors coming to mountain biking because there are legit inclusive, basic women's mountain bike clinics. Our friends at your endurance United over mm -hmm. here on the East side do a fantastic job where it's bring what you got. We'll teach you how to go over a log. We'll teach you how to go up a hill, down a hill. And, and we're going to make it so you never feel ashamed. You never feel unsupported. Mm -hmm. And why can't we do what they're doing, which I applaud and think it's amazing, right? That's the model we need to be using. Or like Little Bellas for, you know, mm -hmm. girls mountain biking. Mm -hmm. I mean, why don't we take a page from what's already happening and just apply it to some of these more archaic kind of genres like road cycling? Um, I think triathlon does it a little bit 
as well, you know, with some of the, like the women's try, the YWCA try. Coming up in a couple of weeks. Coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. One of my favorite events. I think it's the most inclusive and the most kind of personal building event. Like people go there and they're amazed at what they can do. Mm-hmm. Some of these women's clinics, these women are leaving going, I can't believe I just took that drop or I can't believe I went over that log pile or I took that rock garden. And I think we could take some of those models that are already existing. They're already happening. We just got to figure out how to, to do it with a little bit slower moving road community. Well, and I think with cyclocross, I, I love the what I think you're getting at there, which is instead of focusing on kind of the natural end of something, which I think like if we're talking about the pyramid of road cycling, it begins with education. Then you sort of have that group ride, then you have the drop group ride, and then at the pinnacle you have the race, yeah. right? But really what we're missing in our community, I think, is the education part with road cycling. We have the group ride, we have the drop group ride, and then we have the race. But the top is really kind of going away because we're not filling the bottom of the funnel with people mm-hmm. who are learning how to corner, learning how to take a pole, learning how to ride a wheel. Ride a wheel. You know, that has been, in, in, for me, bringing some, some people up through the ranks, realizing that they just don't, they just don't know how close you need to be. Yep. to really feel that effect. And when you tell them, they look at you like you're crazy because I looked at the person who told me like they were crazy. Like, you mean a fist in between my front wheel and their rear wheel? No way. Like, we're going to crash. Right. But it's that communication and that education that I think needs to happen. And so focusing on that and, you know, that's kind of, that's the hope of, of you know, a, a new club that's coming up. It's interesting to hear, you know, Endurance United, they have such focus and such clarity and they're producing such results. I think road in general, like, hey, you're kind of into road and maybe would do a race someday. There isn't necessarily like the total clarity, like, hey, gather here, do that. You know, well, and I think, yeah, sorry, I forgot to bring this up. But like with cyclocross, we saw it, right? Like when cyclocross first came out, everyone's like, oh, man, I really want to do this thing, but I don't know how to do it. And so where do we start? We had the Aquila races. We had, you know, all like there was a clinic like every single weekend for a while there where it's like cross are putting on a clinic or there's going to be a clip before the race or, you know, and even the clubs themselves were doing clinics within the club. I mean, yep. we used to do clinics for our own yep. synergy club members and, and that's always driven by somebody, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that because the results are hard to produce, I think it's harder finding the leader of those educational events because it's a labor of love. Oh, yeah. The reward is, got to be internal because there's no financial reward. Nobody's going to really say thank you other than, you know. And so I think some of that, like I look at the Nike coaches and those guys and gals are out there like killing themselves with these huge groups of kids at this point. And very, there's no ROI to that other than something that happens inside. Right. And, and those are the people that we need to be fostering that we need to be helping to get in front of these groups and I think that's part of the challenge is, is finding those kind of coaches, if you will, yeah. or leaders of educational groups. Like that. For road Here's a theory. Is part of the issue with the road and bridging this gap in road <clears throat> ego? Like some guys are just too proud to be like, I don't know how to do that. I also don't really want to ask how. In a way, I think it's also like, let's say you're an elite cyclist, cat two, cat three, cat one, whatever, you've been doing it forever. Finding the person that wants to step back from that and go on the slow ride and shepherd a bunch of people. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a hard thing to find, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. where they're like, oh, I, instead of going what I want to do, which is 20 miles an hour, my buddies on a Sunday morning that ends in coffee, 
I'm now going to spend four days a month or six days a month taking this group of 15 people real slow, which for that athlete, sometimes like watch them paint dry a bit. Yep. And so there is, so partially ego, but also maybe just what they want to do. Yeah. You know? yeah it's something that happens with me with the copyright about mid season is I'll get to a place where it's like, I really want to just go out there and take the time that I have and do a three hour banger, right? Like that's what I want to do right now. But I have told these people that I'm going to show up and lead this ride and be consistent and be this, you know, this thing that exists. And if I'm not there, it's not so much that it'd go away, but eventually it would be hard to find someone to kind of it's a pillar of the dad community, a pillar of the coffee community, a pillar of the saying it's a pillar of anything. I'm just saying it's, you know, and you know, the ride I used to do on Saturday, the Fletch, right? Like just yesterday, Mike's son, one of the guys who I met only through that ride, he moved here. He was looking for a ride, saw that ride, came on it. We became good buddies. You know, he just made a comment on an old photo. He's like, I miss this ride. It's like, I would love to do that too, but I don't, I don't have Saturday and Sunday morning. And you know, it's it. And I am at a point now where it's like, I would love to, Devin didn't believe me, but one of the guys who I met on the copyright made the offhand comment that he's like, oh, I didn't realize you were actually fast because all I see you do is the didn't copyright. Didn't happen.com. <laughs> File it under didn't happen.com. Eric, Eric Lundy absolutely said that and backed me up. What did, but, Eric, what did Eric say about me? Uh, he also said the same thing about you. He was surprised that Devin was strong. <laughs> but the point is like, in order to to do that, it does take a real, it's a real sacrifice. And I think that with mountain biking, it's a little bit easier to do that because at the end of the day, it's like, you still get to do your fun little like whippy doodahs off the- Your whippy doodahs. Yeah. It's fun to ride the skills park as well right. as the yeah. trail, right? right? You can go ding around on some features and still have a, a, a worthy time, right? And you're not like, oh, I just wasted two hours of my day. Exactly. The, exactly. I, I mean, I would be at your Thursday night ride with Sam Sam every week. I'd be at all kinds of rides every week, but your ride starts at six. Bedtime is seven. So I'm can not we there. Can we talk about that Thursday night ride, though? Because you... we don't need to talk about what oh, happened to me. Oh. <laughs> Everything up until that point. What a great ride, by the way. Speaking of fostering that type of community, it, like that is something I've been looking for in the community. And I, it's fast. It's a great group of guys. Everyone kind of knows what they need to do. And then Great Cloud Island is such a perfect sprint loop. How did that happen? I mean, is that just... Well, that all goes back to my now retired mentor, Bob Samata, who was one of the integral members of Now Bikes and Fitness, one of the vice president of the company for over 40 years. When he started Synergy, I don't even know the dates on this because it's before my time, but he was tired of... It's kind of going back to the road riding thing. He was tired of trying to find a group that was inclusive or that fit his riding style. So he started a whole club around it. So Thursday night rides started with Bob riding with his buddies and we, and then we built, he built synergy around it so that people had a place to go. And quite frankly, the motto for since inception was no dickheads. Like that was his, (laughs) not to, you know, speak poorly on well, I got on there so in <laughs> in in because you know he was looking at the grand performance right not that there are any bad people on these rides but the two by two head down you know pace rides uh or Flanders who's always had this rough reputation of the Red Army he was looking at that and this is kind of back in their heydays when he started synergy and all those things he goes well I don't want to do any of that he goes I want to go and ride my bike for two hours at 18 17 18 miles an hour get done drink beer with my friends and go home like that. And so that's where the Thursday night ride started. That's where synergy started. And 
as Bob transitioned away from the bike shop, he retired this fall will be his two year anniversary. Sam Sam and the rest of the club that's kind of been mingling around or, or looking for the settling of the COVID protocols, you know, as, as we've come through the other side and we're able to get together again, you know, everybody wanted it. Mm-hmm. And when you come on a Thursday night ride, you see not only old school in there, but a lot of new people looking for that type of home where, you know, Sam opens the shop after they get back from the ride and the store is definitely closed, but there's beers and stories and camaraderie that happens in those settings. And that's as we all sit here in our family members, right? Like we all have families, we all have young kids. We all have a small commodity of time to spend. You spend it in a way that can fill your cup. And that's not always nose down on a wheel, you know, driving fast. And so even though it's not necessarily like a newbie ride, it is fairly inclusive. You know, the other day we had a guy show up, never met him before, seven foot two. Biggest person I think I've ever stood next to. He was humongous. One of the nicest dudes. And one of his friends had been on a ride and said, hey, come on over. Mm-hmm. And I think he had a good time. You was know? he on a tire bike? He was on a Zinn Custom because Leonard Zinn. I bet you I know who that is. Yeah. Because I rode uh, next to him for a number of miles at Meesville. Yeah. No, not Meesville. Haywood. Yeah. Super nice guy. Super great. Seven, two. And, and, and what shows that Bob laid the foundation for something pretty cool was the fact that it's still happening, mm-hmm. even through COVID and all the transition of there. And we're still seeing new faces showing up. And I don't know how they're getting the info because we don't really post about it. Mm-hmm. It's on a list on our website, but we're not really promoting it. And yet every week I see new faces. I see a lot of familiar faces, but every week I'm seeing one or two or four or six Oh, I've never met you before. So I'll go out and meet the group ride and say hi to everybody. And it's really part of that community aspect. Yeah. it's And I think in a very real way, Sam and Jordan have kind of taken that, mm-hmm. like, you know, you really do need someone who's consistently showing up yep. and being a part of it. And I think, you know, to see Sam and Jordan doing that, it's like, oh, it's, you know, I feel less alone. I feel less like, right. you know, like James with our Wednesday night hill ride, there's a person you can count on being there. And the thing about that is, you know, I don't think that's something that can happen forever, right? Like you see these cycles. So it's important to find people who like want to take that on for the future too. And, you know, there's great rides that I think about all the time that are now gone, like the Saturday morning Birchwood ride, which was just like this great long distance, hundred mile, you know, head down killer ride, but we needed it. Yep. The guy who had that out, Tom, great mentor of mine, amazing fellow. He's, he's out, ride's gone. Anyways, we are we are running out of time. We have fortunately not had any time to talk about my failings as a cyclist. We'll get into that. We'll we'll t- we'll touch on that. We'll here. do that in the intro. Can we just we have Rich here? <laughs> We've had him on before. We didn't really clarify with him this time if he's a dad or if he bikes. So if we could do that now, I don't think that's changed. Let's do it in post. Okay. Hey, Rich. Yes, sir. You got kids? Several. So he alleges that he's a dad. <laughs> You do have you have nine? How many is it you got? I have six. Six. Five daughters and one son. Okay. And, and then just... I'm looking at you and I'm wondering, do you bike? <laughs> do you bike, Rich? I do. I am in the emerging category of e mountain bike. That's what e- I choose to ride. Mountain bikes. The future. I uh, I started. I I was always riding mountain bikes, and uh, it's always been kind of going back to spending that time commodity. I get usually one evening a week to go ride bikes and I always rode mountain bikes with friends. And one time I just happened to have an extra large E full suspension at the shop and e-bikes were emerging. And I'm like, well, I should figure this out. 
I should be able to speak about it and talk about battery life and talk about range and power. And, and so that bike became a demo bike. And then I never stopped. Like, I just <laughs> kept that bike for the rest of the season. Then progressively every season since then, the e-mountain bike has gotten nicer and nicer and nicer. And now I'm on my probably fourth or fifth e-mountain bike. And the my primary riding partner, Pete, uh, who's my best friend, we ride together and he's very strong, mm. like really fit biker actively works out commutes to work daily i mean very very much into this they're, they're a one-car family they commute i mean it's a very much a riding part of their lifestyle and so by me being on the e-mountain bike he i can ride at his pace versus he riding at my pace so it doesn't help with the fitness level usually but i still get a workout and i still yep. stay moving and i still stay active and i enjoy it the crap out. it's super fun well it doesn't take away from your if you're only riding that one hour yeah it's not like you do a lesser effort, you still get the same effort. You just do it are able to pace. ride with Pete. Yep, exactly. And come home and still make dinner and, yep. and put kids to bed and not, not feel trained. shelled. No. Yeah, exactly. Which is God tucking in six kids. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have to do that a lot. It's a lot of them are older. Uh, however, just anything after a hard ride without just shoving a cheeseburger in your face and drinking a beer. Um, so the e-bike helps me do that. Yeah. How long does story time take? For me, both kids, the two little ones that I have. No, to no all six. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would take a long time. But for me, bedtime is about a half hour. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, I've gotten over the years. I've been parenting since I was 21 and I'm now going to be 44. And so pro dad, you learn to refine the craft after a while. You know, I was really bad at it in the early days. And now I'm really oh, it's a 21 year old. And now I'm really good at it. So I've, I've, uh, I've refined my craft. Over the years. Well, I think on that note, we got to invite you back to give us some of those dad tips. Happy to come back anytime. Today. Fantastic conversation about the industry. Thank you so much for sharing your experience about tour. Yes. Very Did we want to drop any VP names? Like, is there any industry names you would like to drop with Rich before we sign? I already did. Sam, Sam and Jordan. Those were okay. I mean, we love industry LinkedIn talk here. <laughs> I do. You hate it. Uh, anything you want to say before we wrap up? No, I just enjoy hanging out with you guys. Thanks for bringing me in. Cool. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Rich from Now Bikes over in St. Paul. Go and visit him. Ask do him for not some visit advice. the Arden Hills location. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Both locations. Please visit great. both locations and uh, we'll have you on again soon. Appreciate the time, guys.